Welcome to episode 55 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. And I am your host, Mandy Cohen. Do we have any news, any updates? I mean, I don't know. I guess we could do news since this is going to come out in like a week. But I mean, I don't know. There's not really news. COVID virus is still going on. The spike is insane. Black lives still don't matter as much as they should. Well, Black Lives <laughs> protests are still going on. The news stopped covering them because they're not violent. There's no rioting. And, well, the cops lowered the brutality some. Not no brutality, still a decent amount of brutality. And when the brutality happens, you still get some minimal coverage. Like, the only coverage coming out of my town was when the sheriffs went and stomped on our jail support. Mm-hmm. How dare you be here helping people recover from the trauma of going to jail? They s- tried to, like, stop you doing that? They arrested, like, 25 people, including people who weren't even... Uh, they arrested another charity that was dropping off pizzas. How did they... What did they arrest them for? So... I mean, like, what were... You know what I mean? Like, I know why they arrested them, but what were the actual charges? So they originally came out and said to them something along the lines of, you're making people feel nervous, like, harassed, and also you're gathering in groups larger than 10 people during the pandemic because that is one thing that cops are using a lot as an excuse to engage protesters is pandemic rules. Yeah. So they gave them an order to disperse at four o'clock basically and said by four o'clock you have to have your stuff out of here. And they said well we're not you know we're not gonna go this doesn't make any sense. And then at four o'clock they dropped like 40 sheriffs on them and arrested everybody. That's insane. And so I mean at that point what they arrested them for was not leaving when they were told to leave. The weirdest thing about a lot of legal stuff is that the actual procedure if the police tell you to do something even if they're legally wrong oftentimes the correct procedure is that you're still supposed to do it and then send a lawyer or ask you know why or mm-hmm. figure it out later and then come back if they were wrong as opposed to not listening to them right because not listening to the police is always a crime for some reason mm-hmm. so if the police are like you've got to move and you're like well no i have a right to be here that well may be but i told you to move so you've got to move which is bullshit which is yeah. such bullshit yeah it is it is failure to comply or something like that i think in a lot of states has a law like that it's crazy stuff the thing i think they are saying was take it up with the courthouse if you think you have the right to be here and then you can file a suit to get back here but you know we want you gone basically and they didn't go i don't know it was pretty rough stuff they talked about being thrown into arrest vans like large groups of people and it was so hot like being left in there for hours and it was so hot that they like had to pull each other's masks off with their teeth which is obviously not great for coronavirus that made national news because of how bad it was mm-hmm. that's the only thing that makes the news like they'd been doing protests and jail support right. really well really peacefully the way that everyone tells you you're supposed to do it to get attention and then something tragic happens and they get attention. Yeah. If you look at the cities and states where things have actually changed, it's the cities and states with the most rioting and the most property damage occurred. Yep. Not saying that you should go out and riot or do property damage. I'm just saying that when people say, we'll listen to you if you're peaceful, but we're not going to listen if you do property damage, it doesn't seem that that's the case. Yeah. It does not appear to be that that is something that gets people's attention. I mean, if you're protesting in a way that breaks no rules, and as I said before, you have to inconvenience someone. I think there's better ways to inconvenience people, but if the inconvenience in a capitalist society doesn't mess with someone's capital, you're not going to get results. I mean, it's in the name of our system, literally, mm-hmm. like... The system worships capital. The thing that protesters have done that's the most effective recently, they had done, and now I think maybe they should stop doing, is the blocking traffic, which is great. It's completely nonviolent. It doesn't damage anything, but it does gum up capital. But for some reason, people are so crazy, they just run protesters over. They have been. It's insane. They would rather 
literally murder people than be inconvenienced by an hour. And I can't, I can't imagine being the kind of human being that's like, I'm late for work. I'm going to put a person on my windshield like a bug. That is insane to me. So I don't think that that's a good choice because obviously when you do that, you're putting yourself in the hands of all of the random drivers who are there. And many of those drivers are pissed off, must just have deep internalized racism. Yeah. You know, and you know about being sympathetic, the the system is painful for them. So they're miserable and their lives are very painful and difficult because capitalism not only disprivileges them, but then teaches them to blame themselves for the disprivileging that they have so that they don't blame the system. And so then when something inconveniences them, they feel like they're responsible. And the only way they know to deal with it is to take responsibility for getting to work on time, even if that means running someone over, which is insane. Mm -hmm. If that's your value structure, you have to understand there's something wrong with that value structure. We had a really awesome protest over the holiday over the 4th of July, we had a pretty large armed black militia walk through of Stone Mountain. And if you're not from around here, Stone Mountain is a huge rock piece of granite, huge ginormous piece of granite that has some Confederate quote heroes carved into it. And Hmm. it is a state park here in Georgia. And, you know, with the movement to take down these Confederate statues, there has been push for Stone Mountain to be taken down and or to be demolished. Or like I said, it was it was a it was a militia of about 200 armed black folks that walked through. And so that's like more power to them. Sure. And it actually did get some. I'm glad they survived. Yeah, they got like national coverage. It's the disruption, yeah. Yeah, it was disruptive without causing lasting damage. That's really my barometer if you're causing lasting damage to people. Yeah. So people were not long-term harmed. They were not long-term scarred. They were not long-term killed. So that's what you want. You want your protest to be disruptive without causing irreversible, irrevocable human damage. And I'm being very specific about human damage to not cover property damage. I don't care if people do property damage or not. Because fuck property damage. Yeah, it's property, guys. It's not people. Like, property is meant to serve people. If people are serving property, you got it backwards. Like, the thing we talked about with relationships. If you're hurting yourself to maintain a relationship, that is not a good relationship. Right. Relationship's job is to be a construct that makes your social life more positive. If the relationship is harming your social life, then it's not doing its job as a relationship. Property is the same thing. We came up with property, in theory, to make human lives better. If property is instead making human lives worse, it's not important. And property can always be replaced. Like, that's the thing I always try and explain to my son, you know, that, like, if someone breaks something or whatever, I'm like, whatever it is, we can we can replace that. We can fill that gap with a different type of property. Mm-hmm. We can get new property. We can build new property. I can fix it. I can rebuild it. Can't bring back people. Nope. <laughs> Can't get people back. Which actually leads us to our topic today. Yeah. That was pretty organic, ironically. Yeah. We're going to talk about mourning, and that includes loss of life, loss of relationship, change in relationship, which is something that the two of us have definitely kind of experienced today and and throughout our lives, of course, but... Yeah, by experience today, we mean had experiences of loss reified. We do not mean that we lost something today. We did not lose anybody today, yeah. We didn't personally lose anybody today, but yeah, it just kind of bubbled up again today. Today was the kind of day where we thought about loss a lot. Yeah. So what was it for you? Mourning can be such a abstract concept because I think my original mourning was actually mourning the lack of a type of relationship and the loss of that type of relationship in my life, which is that until I was about 25, very consistently, I had a person that that I'm going to use the term constant companion, which is somebody to me that is basically 
always available and around and for which you have huge amounts of rituals, multiple days a week engagements, guaranteed engagements. Like, you know, you wake up and you text them what's going on. They're your person. It's like when you're in NRE, but actually lasting and not necessarily dating. That's trying to aim at something really specific because, I mean, I have my partner. They're really amazing. I have my kids. They're really amazing. I have my parents. They're really amazing and a really huge part of my life. And I spend a lot of time talking through problems with them. I have my live-in friend. He's really amazing. And I have a couple of other friends. I have some great members of the local poly community and they're all amazing. But none of them have that, are like a living biography of me. None of them are around all of the time. Like I have to fill in the pieces of the puzzle to talk about my problem. So is it more of a quantity than quality? I think it is mostly a quantity issue, but there's also got to be some quality because I definitely have for that friend that I mentioned that was that for a while, but basically gave up on caring about things and so they know everything about me but they have literally no response to anything so they're just sort of like a black box and that's not filling that need (laughs) i mean it, it can be helpful to have someone that you can just talk to and you know that it just gets sealed in the box and goes away and never comes back again. But I don't even think they really remember it most of the time, to be honest. They don't seem to remember <laughs> any of the things I even tell them because they don't care. That's why they don't have a response to it. It's not they irrelevant They weren't paying attention. I don't even know that they weren't paying attention. It's just, you know, your brain actually, when it's moving memory from short term to long term, checks to see if the memory is relevant and then deletes it if it's not. Yeah. And it's aware of the way that we compress information streams to be able to have more space in our brains. And I think their brain is just like, his relationship status is irrelevant to you. Delete. Oh, yeah. I saw that Disney movie. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> Pixar Pixar did do the inside of your head where they delete the memories that don't matter. Oh, that was such a great movie, by the way. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and so I was listing all the people that had filled that role. And I listed one of my best friends, probably the best friend I've ever had, who committed suicide when I was 21. Were they that age as well? Yeah, they were my age. Okay. So they were my exact age. But there was a couple months before or after. I can't remember which anymore. And they were my best friend during the most important formative years. So basically 15 to 21. So sort of a six-year stretch. You know, we would see each other every day at school. And then we would do something after school a couple of days a week. And then every single weekend, pretty much all day every day we were hanging out together somewhere when we graduated school we went off to different colleges but we both did a year at college and it didn't really like the college we were in and we're trying to figure out what to do next so I went to Pittsburgh for a year and after a couple of months they moved up to Pittsburgh and moved in with me and we lived together for a year in Pittsburgh and that was really the first time we'd been on our own and I mean first time I'd gone to parties and wow so they were around for a lot of pivotal stuff they were around for pretty much all of the pivotal stuff they were huge a huge component of my development and we developed together of course Right. So we, you know, developed those systems together. And they're the kind of person that there was just an infinite number of not just in jokes, but little things like, well, basically call and responses, not in a sexual way, but like ones where like we had like a like a limerick or something where someone would say the first three words, you'd say the middle three words, mm-hmm. they'd say the last three words. And like you could always just count that for a person to do that. We had all sorts of rituals and systems that we use like Friday night, go to Walmart. We had a $5 DVD from the old $5 DVD bin and watch some garbage $5 movie. Nice. And the other person has to buy the snacks and. You know, just things like that, like really legitimate, like weekly rituals and... Like the shit you see in movies. Yeah. 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 Like TV show, best friends. Yeah. Yeah. We were like TV show best friends. It's And it's crazy because, you know, so they were technically only a part of my life for six years, but it was the most important six years, really. And it was the sixth year for friends anyway. I mean... Yeah, yeah. Parent. I mean, obviously, like the most formative years are like your zero to two, but... But for growth and for, yeah, for, yeah. Right. And so it is weird because... I think, you know, and this is my own, only my own personal experience, but I think Mandy, Mandy has the same experience and so do the other people that I've talked to about, you know, major losses, which is 
they don't really get better. Yeah. So I realized today that, you know, I'm now 37. He's been gone for two and a half times as long as I've known him and has almost been gone for the same amount of time that he was alive now. He's about four years shy of that. You know, it doesn't seem further away Mm -mm. than it did. If anything, it's almost sadder because I've just gone longer without seeing him. Yeah. Kind of like if someone told you that starving gets better the longer you do it. It doesn't really. You get hungrier. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's a great... It's a great metaphor for it, Michael. So did you want to tell us about your the things that come up for you today? Yeah. So there's been a couple things. It's been a year since uh, my partner left. I had a long-term partner that we'd been together for, for three years. And you'd even done a marriage ceremony or something yeah. similar to that, right? Yeah. We, we definitely had a commitment ceremony and yeah. And he, we had some issues and he took off and he left on July 2nd last year. And, um, good old Facebook and its memories. <laughs> <laughs> hey, on July 1st of last year, you were having a blast. With- right. Uh, it's been one of those things cause it's, it's, it is its first year. So I've, the date, you know, is very fresh in my memory. And so I'd kind of been dreading it already. So it was a really somber weekend, just kind of still purging stuff and still cleaning stuff out of my home and of my head. And it's not, it's not, it's not gotten any easier. Yeah. You put those walls up, you know, you put the the bandages over everything and you think it's all covered and shit seeps in. I think I guess some of my relationships felt better eventually, but nothing at that length, like my shorter relationships, like six months, eight months. But even those were like a decade, Yeah. you know, before they felt better. The thing about relationships, I think... For me, the question is that depends on how much it hurts is like what makes it hurt less is only if I think that there was something inaccurate about the relationship. The third person that I dated ended up being a person that had a for show personality to blend in Mm -hmm. with people. And then the more I got to know them, the more they had this sort of hidden other personality that was nothing like the personality that I thought was cute and fun and wanted to date. And then I was sort of stuck in the quicksand. I stayed for another month or so. And then I realized what had happened and I got out and that I got over really quickly because my brain was just like, that's not the person that you thought you were dating. Yeah. And I've definitely gone through a lot of that with him because there, there were a lot of lies in the last year we were together that I didn't find out about until after he dipped. But mm-hmm. getting my brain to go, no, he's an asshole. Stop mourning this relationship from concentrating on all these amazing times that we had together. Because you still had a lot of good bonding memories. Right. And I mean, it sounds like the things that he lied about were both things you discovered afterwards, but also were in the last year. So it was not like he was probably lying the first year necessarily right so the first year is still the guy that it was is who it was and you're still thinking well could i have done something different could i have somehow met needs or talked to him earlier or so that he wouldn't have ended up feeling like that what he should do is lie or cheat or whatever the things are that you determined were lies yeah it sucked anyway (laughs) so that's that's been super fresh in my head all weekend and of course the asshole messaged me too on friday i'm sure because he realized what day it was Friday was a year since he left and it was like a, I miss you and I still love you. And, you know, even though I'm across the country and not coming back. So, I mean, all that wasn't in there, but it was, (laughs) it was assumed. But yeah, I'm not ready to talk to him because I'll go to... To talk to him because I miss him and then I get pissed off and then there's so many emotions coming out that I can't, you know, I can't funnel them all into a conversation and I I have to step away and it just, it 
It continues to be a hurricane of emotion every time I attempt to discuss anything with him. So it, I'm just not ready yet. Yeah, it can be very difficult. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of anger. And there's a lot of uh, mourning. So I think one of the most important things to remember in our society is that feeling big emotions is okay. And yeah. okay for everyone as well. That our society definitely teaches you that you're not supposed to have emotions at all, no matter who you are. Especially men. But that it's better no matter who you are if you don't. Although that's also part of our society's built-in misogyny, because you're more manlike if you don't, and therefore you're cooler. Yeah. But it's acceptable if you're going to be a woman and, <laughs> and have emotions. That's okay, although it's kind of not good. No, if you have emotions as a woman, you're crazy. Sure. You're unstable. You're on that crazy graph that, that the guys talk about, you know, that the... But it's understandable. It's expected. It's not strange. Right. Or you're PMSing or, you know, there's always a, sure. a negative connotation to it. You can't just express emotion and have emotion and sit in your car and cry. And for some reason, we belittle emotions value. And it's actually very helpful to feel those emotions. So the other thing is when you look up, like, how long does it take to get over a divorce or something like that? They don't mean get over it. They mean integrate it. Yeah. They mean how long until your regular level of depression is back to normal? Mm -hmm. How long until you're able to function without crying or breaking down about it is back to normal. They don't really mean get over when you think about it, it won't hurt yeah. or you won't wish that it went differently or you won't still miss that person or yearn for them or something specific they did or have trouble going to their favorite place or they don't mean any of that kind of stuff. It is interesting how different mourning for relationships is versus mourning for people that have died because I feel like for the most part when you mourn someone that's died, well, first of all, you have free license to just sort of have rose colored glasses about the situation mm -hmm. that very few people are going to give you shit if you're like they were so great they're not going to be like well actually they were kind of the worst actually that guy was an asshole yeah <laughs> but they will do that if it's a relationship that ended mm -hmm. either dating or friendships so like if your friend stopped hanging out with you and you're like man i really miss my friend people in general will be like well no they were kind of a dick to you right and i do understand the motivation there the motivation there is to some extent they're scared you're going to go back to that person and that's one of the things that i found i find it hard to talk to people about sure me missing my partner and still yeah. being heard about it and not being able to do some things because that's their response. God, but don't you remember that he cheated on you? Like, don't you? Like, yeah, I fucking remember it. <laughs> Do you think <laughs> well, that nope. I'm sitting what? here crying because I hate that he's not cheating on me anymore? <laughs> I really want like, you to now respond the next time with confusion. <sighs> I really want, what? this is what I want you to do. The next time, yeah, the next time someone says that, I need you to just be like, wait, he cheated on me? When did he cheat on me? You're right, because you fucking idiot, I know that. Yeah, and then I just do that for about 10 minutes, and then when they're like, I can't believe you don't remember, and you'll be like, then why did you ask me if I remember? Of course right. I fucking of course remember. Of course I remember, yeah. But like, that's not what I'm mourning. I'm mourning the amazing things that we did together and the amazing times we have. And I don't think a really shitty year on top of a couple amazing years negates those years. No, it doesn't. I don't think it takes away my right to be able to mourn those years. Yeah. And that is an interesting thing is, of course, also, you never know what people's motivations are for not wanting you to have emotional responses. For sure. One of them is that it's now uncomfortable for a lot of people, which <laughs> yes. has always been strange to me. I don't find other people 
people's negative emotions uncomfortable. When you see someone sad and it makes you sad, what's happening is it's activating something in your brain called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons, their goal is to read other people's facial expressions and then have you mirror those emotions. Except for what you're not mirroring those emotions. What you're mirroring is what emotion you would be feeling if you made that facial expression. Ah. Which is not at all the same as the way that the person is actually feeling. So like if you've ever had a friend where you feel like you can't even express anger at all because like if you furrow your brow they're like why are you so mad at me that's because they wouldn't furrow their brow unless they were pissed yeah you might be someone who's very facially expressive about confusion or anger and the thing that's really hard about that is especially if the sensations are really extreme because those are so emotionally taxing people tend to think that they're very right about how you're feeling like no you're mad at me i can tell you're mad at me like i saw it like in your face i know you're mad at me right and they tend to be the most wrong in my experience uh maybe that's because i have weird facial expressions uh but people who are very sure that they have a strong sense of other people's emotions usually are reading way more emotion than exists you know so i'll be like oh hey i'm having a bad day and like oh my god i'm so sorry are you okay can and i'm like i no i'm i'm fine it's cool i well i'm good you know when you were saying like people are are uncomfortable with the way you know that people mourn or they're when they're upset with things I do. I have like, Mm -hmm. like my nesting partner is one of those there, there people like that doesn't, uh, (laughs) I don't know what to do with you. (laughs) Why are you crying? Stop it. (laughs) Here, if I give you a hug, you'll stop, right? (laughs) Right. And a lot of people have been taught they're supposed to problem solve. And again, very few people have been taught how to deal with emotions. Yeah. You know, in my experience and my reading, living emotions is your best response to emotions. Letting people have emotionally valid responses. I've been surprised at how important certain key phrases are I'm learning as I get older and do more research. Someone's crying saying, hey, your emotional response to the situation is really valid. Mm -hmm. You had good times with that person. Validating people's emotional responses to something is super important. This is also true of people who are having suicidal ideations, where a lot of people's response immediately to someone having suicidal ideations is to try and get them to not have suicidal ideations or say that they're not having them. Like, you have so much to live for. Your life's great. I don't know why you'd be suicidal. You should be great. You're happy, right? You're good. And it's because they're scared that the person's actually going to hurt themselves. And so they're not trying to diminish that person's feeling, but that person can't really explore those feelings and actually get over them or even trust you to talk to you about them if you're going to invalidate their feelings and say, but your feeling is ridiculous. Nobody should be suicidal or you're not really feeling that you're feeling something else or it's not really suicidal. It's trauma. It's not like suicidal ideations. It's trauma. And so the same thing is going to be true here, whereas if someone's mourning a loss, and I think as polyamorous people, it's especially important to understand how to help someone mourn the loss of a partner because most people don't have to do that. That's something we got no training on as monogamous people in the mainstream culture because you're not supposed to help your partner mourn their relationship unless it's in getting over that relationship because you're so awesome. Mm. You know, that's the one type of mourning you're allowed to have, though. How about people who think it's going to be so much easier to get over because I am polyamorous? And that's where having a polyamorous community or at least one polyamorous friend you can talk to is crazy important. And if there's no polyamorous people anywhere near you, definitely get into a, a polyamorous discussion group online so that you can validate your loss. I definitely got that from a lot of my mono friends. Yeah. That's what I've gotten every time I've broken up with someone from my mono friends. Yeah, like that sucks. But at least you've got Jerry and at least you've got such and such. And at least you've got this person. Yeah, but they're not that person. Like (laughs) that matters. That's like if if you died tomorrow and somebody walked up to me and said, oh, well, at least you've got all these other friends. Like that's shitty. (laughs) 
Or even just had a friend breakup. Right. For sure, like, people getting dumped by friends is actually fairly rare. Usually friends are sort of ghost out slowly. But if a friend is actually legitimately like, you know what, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. This isn't working. You can usually go to your other friends and go, holy shit, my really close friend decided that being around me was toxic for them and they hate me and they don't want to talk to me anymore. And they're like, oh my God, are you okay? And they'll take you out and they understand how to do the mourning process <laughs> for, right. for that and how to support you through that emotional stress. And I think that's also part of our society's problem of tying dating up with sex an immediate assumption by the monogamous people that you're getting the same exact kind of sex and intimacy from every one of your partners, right. that that's what makes them partners. The idea is that that's what makes a partner special is the sexual connection, really. Yeah. Not the friendship or the life bill that you've built together or the time that you spend together because that's the only thing that differentiates a monogamous relationship from a friendship relationship in monogamous culture is the one person you're going to have sex with. Which is not the case at all in polyamory because I definitely don't have sex with a couple of my partners, but still consider them partners. And yeah. And that's why the idea of like a rebound person is so common in monogamous culture, because the idea is, well, if you get if you can get the sex back, then right. it'll make it easier to get over not having the sex right now. Yeah. Which, I mean, having sex does release oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone. And it's the hormone that you're not, not getting anymore from the partner that you've lost because, yeah, I mean, and it does exist in the same place so it is sort of a little bit like getting a hit when you're having a drug withdrawal though i did try to do that but once i was done and i went home it was i was even more sad because right because it's even more like a drug because it's not actually connected to long-term bonding yeah. that's a re like a recoverable source of oxytocin it, it is exactly like i haven't had oxytocin i haven't had oxytocin here's a hit of oxytocin but now it's hollow and shitty and gone and i feel shitty about that and now I'm obsessing about why I did it and if it was good or not. And if, if you normally like one-off sex, then you should still be having one-off sex. But that one-off sex you're having isn't meant to be a stand-in for that partner. It's something that you've always been doing. Right. So if you're the kind of polyamorous person that has a longer-term partner and one-off sex and you have one-off sex, that's fine. That's I'm not saying don't do that. But if you're not yeah. the kind of person that does that, there's no evidence that will fix your emotional problems. Right. It's about trying to hide from the emotion instead of dealing with it. Most painful things for humans are most successfully dealt with by committing to experience them. So even if you ever read how to deal with extreme pain, you can deal with extreme pain a lot easier by accepting that you're going to have the pain and actually trying to experience the pain. So like closing your eyes, mm -hmm. feeling where the pain is, trying to ask yourself questions like, what does this pain feel like? What makes up this pain? Where is it in my body? Why is it happening? What is it signaling? Will actually cause a more diminished pain response than being like, oh God, I don't, you know, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this. Right. The panic and the suppression definitely fuck it up a lot more. Yeah, they make it worse. Well, and the same is true with emotions. You know, so if you're like, oh, I don't want to feel how much I hurt. I don't want to cry. I don't want to grieve. I don't want to spend time with people who are supporting me about my grief. It's gonna get worse. I feel like you're <laughs> calling me out here, Michael. <laughs> I feel, I mean, I'm calling out everybody because this is what our society does. This is what our society tells you grief is. Because we definitely had these conversations. <laughs> I can remember messaging you and and asking you how I cannot feel this. Like, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to deal with this. And you just kept asking me why. Yeah. Why would you not want to feel it? Like, you need to feel it. You need to process this. Well, you're going to. The thing is, you're going to. Yeah. You know, and it's the reason why taking like drugs or alcohol as a way to avoid those emotions. When those emotions come up, you sedate yourself, stops you from ever processing them. Mm -hmm. So it just drags out the process. 
It doesn't actually fix anything. It just feels better for that hour. Yeah. And then you keep distracting yourself from it. But I mean, we're not designed to get over stuff. We're designed to integrate it. But I do want to stop and say there's nothing wrong with getting drunk one night to take a break from it. Well, and there's nothing wrong with it, even if you do it every yeah. night. I know a person who did have suicidal ideations and their their point was, I understand that I'm healing slower because of this, but if I felt everything at once, I would act on my suicidal ideations. Like, yeah, okay, cool. Here's a beer. You know, like... (laughs) Cool, go get drunk. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying there aren't reasons. So yeah, that was not meant to be judgmental and to say, don't do that. You know what you need to do probably better. And I mean, again, obviously, if you're at those extreme levels, if you can get therapy, if you can get professional help, do. Mm -hmm. If you can't, then you have to do the best you can. But I'm definitely not telling you that you don't know you or shaming you for having those experiences, partly because even if I wanted you to stop doing those things, I know that statistically acceptance forgiveness and understanding that you're dealing with those issues is actually the thing that would help you get over those issues and me going you shouldn't drink if you're depressed is gonna make you drink more so i'm definitely not saying that what i'm saying is (laughs) when you drink the healing is slower yeah i'm just noting that if you have the capacity to not do that it will speed up the process Mandy, you said i was calling you out i never judged you for not wanting to feel those emotions or not wanting to talk about those emotions no no i never once felt judged just so you know that's yeah that's really hard by the way making people not feel judged that's a lot of work (laughs) yeah when i'm a huge believer in couching language like every time i would message mandy it would be like hey i'm checking in on you i understand that you don't actually like talking about these sorts of things when you're sad so i want you to know that i'm here if you decide you want to talk about those things but if you don't I understand that too. And I can be here for you by not talking to you about those things. Yeah. And he was completely okay with, yeah, not today. That's what support (laughs) looks like. It's always weird to me when people are like, well, I want to support you. And if you don't want to be supported, then fuck you. And I'm like, I don't. Well, you know what sucks is when, after Ryan left, I had another partner that wanted to help me through it. Mm -hmm. And like, you need to talk about this. You need to talk about this. I don't want to fucking talk about this. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to talk about this. Well, you need to talk about it. You need to talk. You're not letting me help you do this. You're not being a good partner. And and I actually, like, no shit, a month after Ryan left, broke up with that partner. Over it. Yeah, that makes sense. Because he wouldn't let me just fucking deal with it the way that I wanted to deal with it. The way that I could deal with it at that moment. Yeah, if you want to get somebody to talk about something like this, if that's your goal, like you're like, okay, they're in pain, I need to help them move forward. Be open to it, but don't press it. That, but the meta structure that I was going for was the only thing that you can do is create a space for them to get over it in. So you can create a safe space for them to do it, but you can't force them into that space. No, I felt like he was being a vacuum. Like he had turned this suction cup on me and was like trying to to like pull things out of me that I wasn't ready to let go of yet. So, you know, you can say, I'm here if you need that. I would be happy to support you. It wouldn't be a burden to me to support you through this. I would enjoy doing this with you, but you don't need to do it for me because I understand that it's about your pain. And that's the thing is you should be centering the the actual person who is in pain if you really mean to help them. Right. Because what you're actually doing if that's if you're not centering their pain is that it's about your own ego. White knight syndrome. It's a it's an ego boost. I want to be the kind of person that can fix all of my partner's problems. Yep. I want to be the guy that comes in and solves them. I do think it's a monogamous script holdover. 
I'm mm-hmm. going to help her get over this toxic relationship with my awesome, perfect relationship. And part of what's going to be great about it is she's going to tell me how much better I am than this guy that just left because he is a dingus. Yeah. And it sucked. It just made everything so much worse mm-hmm. because then I was fighting with him constantly after trying to process the breakup. And yeah, it was. <laughs> Here you are trying to process a massive emotional load and then having to navigate a really yeah. difficult relationship conversation because this other person wants to make your pain about them Mm -hmm. yeah in a lot of instances for me when this breakup occurred it was like losing a life because it wasn't like normal breakups that I'm used to my relationships normally transition in some way where they're still present in some shape or form Mm -hmm. but it's not what it was maybe you know at its peak sure whereas this one (laughs) This one packed up a U-Haul and left. Prohibitively far away. Right. Um, And so not only did I have to deal with my mourning of the relationship, I had to deal with my children's mourning of it. Sure. Because he was gone. I had to deal with my other nesting partner's mourning of it because there was a relationship there as well. Yeah. So it essentially was like losing a life. I mean, that one honestly floors me because, you know, like you said, you would have been married if marriage was legal. Yeah. For polyamorous people, you did everything that all of the spiritual and cultural equivalents to getting married. You stood up in front of your friends and said, we're married. Mm-hmm. And he was living with your house and had gone past all of the barriers and checks and balances and was taking care of your kids and was a father figure to your children and was a, a caregiver and bonded partner to the, them as well. And as you say, Jerry, and it's really weird for all of them because... My hardest emotion to deal with, and this is probably also why I stress the one-to-one relationship dynamic often, is feeling like I am losing something about someone I care about, not to my experience with them, but to some their experience with someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really weird to be in the situation your kids were in, where he just ghosts on them because he broke up with you, because then it really makes it feel like his relationship with them was meaningless. Right. Because he didn't talk to them about what that would look like. He didn't take them into consideration at all. And as soon as he wasn't dating you or their mom, fuck them. Yeah. And the same thing with Jerry. Like, I thought we were best friends, but you know, fuck you. He's not, he's not contacted my kids at all. Like, that is crazy. There's not been any contact between him and my kids. I don't understand how you can live with kids for three years and then not contact them. Like, that's insane to me. I have no idea. No idea. And that's a lot of where my anger comes from is him hurting other people I love. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. You know, and that's just a year out. But like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't matter It doesn't matter if it's been a year or if it's been 21 years. Like the the other kind of nudge I had this weekend, my first husband died. We were married a year and had been together a year prior to prior to that. And he died in a car wreck when I was 19. That's rough. Like I said, it's been 21 years. And I definitely don't think about him as often as I used to. Yeah. But when you do. When I do, I do it purposely normally. Like Mm -hmm. I'm telling a story and I'm remembering things on purpose. What gets you, (laughs) what really like sneaks in between those walls and, and stabs at you is when something happens that you're not expecting, like a smell comes across that triggers a memory of 
him. It's good to cry and it's good to, to process that. And, you know, because I have, I've taught my kids, that, you know, cry, let it out. Like yeah. it's definitely going to feel a lot better out than it does in, you know, release that, that energy that's coming out of you and you'll feel better. Processing and making sense of difficult emotional spaces is the way to get past to them yeah as we said you know oftentimes you're not in the place to do that yet and the goal is to keep trying to get into the place where you can do that i know that all of the emotional hardships that i've ever experienced eventually i get to a point where i realize that i'm hiding from that emotional hardship and that i don't want to be anymore and then when i start not hiding from it is when the pain starts diminishing Mm -hmm. and it's hard because hiding feels easier but it's actually more exhausting because it's forever you're always hiding from it instead of going with it right we've been taught that having the full range of emotions is unpleasant or bad and i think that they're part of the beauty of the human experience in a lot of ways i would actually be very upset with myself i think if i no longer cared that my best friend died right i don't want to be the kind of person that got over it that was like well people die You can't get over a human life not existing anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the goal for mourning should be to get over it. The goal for mourning should be to be able to have gratitude for the parts that went well. Obviously, I'm a huge believer in the universal compassion and caring about other people. So all of my ex-partners and ex-friends and whoever else brought something really beautiful to my life for a while. And... They might have done things that hurt me, but as I get older, the more I realize how incredibly difficult this stuff is. You know, as much as I try and remind people how difficult ethics is and doing the right thing is and even knowing what the right thing for yourself is or even the best way for yourself to live, we all have so many things that we're taught by society or family or friends or, you know, our culture, all those scripts that we have. And all those scripts are designed to tell us that they're the best way to handle something. And most of them are exactly the opposite of that. Yeah. And so it's not like these people that you were with weren't trying to do the right thing, weren't trying to handle things the best way that they knew how, for the most part, by and large. They just didn't know how to do it the right way. And that doesn't, you know, undermine the rest of that. Like, I remember one time someone had said to me that they'd never wanted anything so much as they wanted being with me. And then, like, the next day broke up with me. Maybe in that moment, that's what they (laughs) wanted. Yeah, well, and, and maybe that's right. You know, and you know, I remember being really upset about that and talking to one of my friends and saying, I can't believe that this person lied to me. What a, you know, what a monster. Why would you say something like that? And they were like, I don't think they lied to you. I think that they meant that when they said it. And then... In the moment, yeah. Something changed or, you know, maybe even they still want that, but they don't want any of the things attached to it. You know, I mean, it doesn't... It's just, there's so much going on there. Yeah. Which is the other thing, and it's why I don't like fast emotion. I don't trust fast emotion, really. I don't trust fast emotion to be correct. We're at, like, right at... Yeah, we're at an hour. Yeah, we're running at time. All right, so let's go over some some high notes then. So the big takeaway is the goal is not to get over... Well, and this is a consistent note with us and, and really with modern science, which is the goal is not homeostasis. It's not to return to the period of emotional stability before you lost that person or relationship or pet or thing that you loved. It's adaptation. Uh, there's actually a term for that. Yeah, allostasis is getting to the new safe place oh. after... I mean, obviously adaptations are quite 
required for allostasis yeah. to function. You're not wrong. <laughs> allostasis is just a really sciencey word for the new normal. Okay. You're not trying to get back to where you were before. You're not trying to get back to a point where you erase that person back out of the ledger of your life and pretend they never happened. You want to take the things that you learned from that relationship, which were good, and you want to take the things that you loved from that relationship that were good and integrate them into your life but go forward with that part of that is grieving and part of that is being sad and that you can miss somebody even if they were bad for you yeah even if that person was actually toxic for you you can miss them and you can be right to miss them don't ever feel bad for missing somebody who was toxic as long as you're not trying to go back to be with them and i think i think that's been the hardest part for me god damn it (laughs) (laughs) i know it's rough right is being able to say it's okay to miss him and not being mad at myself for missing him yeah well it's definitely okay to miss him and you should not at all be mad at yourself for missing him you had an actual life with him it's not like he was a chameleon or a robot or an alien you know he was there for a lot of that he was the person you thought he was for a lot of that and he did some things that weren't great but that didn't mean he didn't do a lot of things that were great right the important thing is that you're authentic with yourself realistic with yourself about what the relationship was so that you don't go back to a toxic relationship. Right. I definitely remember all the shitty shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which, which isn't even to say that you could never date that person again. It's just that you would need to do it knowing that this stuff had happened, having accounted for that, talking about yeah. that, preparing for that, keeping an eye on that, being realistic about it. So I'm not even saying, I don't mean don't date that person again. I mean, don't go back to that exact same relationship. Right. Because people do do that, you know, and that's yeah. the thing that I think people are trying to guard against when they're like, don't forget he was an asshole. And so that's, I think that's the big thing for you, for people who are in mourning. Like your emotions are very valid. It's totally okay to hurt. It's okay to feel the full range of emotion. In fact, all those things are necessary to getting to a better more complete human you that's actually going to be healthy and happy and able to move forward emotionally complexly and not just randomly yell at people or get angry when it gets brought up exposure i think is a big deal depending on how bad your situation is yeah because you can never hide from anything forever yeah i remember one time i spent a whole summer with a girl and we listened to this one cd the whole summer and then i went away for a year when i came back i found it in my car and i put it on and the first time i put it on i just like i fucking killed me but it was pretty popular music and i was like okay i can't i can't avoid this music i just put it in and drove around with it again on all the time for like a month and then it was gone yeah so that's for for you. How can you deal with trauma? But we also have the, if someone else is dealing with mourning someone, definitely let them know their emotions are valid. Let them know that it's okay to have those emotions. If you're not capable of providing the kind of support that they need, it's totally cool for you to say, I'm not capable of providing the kind of support that you need. Let's help you find somebody that can, or I hope you can find someone that can. It's going to be better if you just step away. What you don't want to do is you don't want to be like, like, but they were an asshole, try and shut down the conversation, tell them their emotions are invalid. Or try and suck the conversation out of them. Well, and that's maybe like a subcategory, because two is, you know, (laughs) provide that space, but don't try and stop people from feeling their emotions. Yeah. If you're worried they're going to go back to that person, absolutely say stuff like, hey, I want you to know your emotions are totally valid. You had a relationship that mattered to you. You had great experiences with this person. There's things about them that you love. They are a complete and complex human being. I'm sure they're quite great 
for you or interesting or whatever. But I do want to know or make sure that you know that you can both feel that way and also know that I don't think you should go back to them. Yeah. And then your friend can just be like, I'm not going back to them. And you can be like, all right, we'll just we'll stop talking about that then. Yeah. As long as I know you're not going back to them, then I'm happy to support you. That's totally fine. But you can separate those things. You don't need to sort of talk around it because what they're going to hear is that their emotions are invalid, that they shouldn't feel bad about the good stuff that they're missing because of the bad stuff that they're missing. Right. And you're just making the problem worse. Yeah. I mean, they know why they broke up with that person in all probability, unless the other person broke up with them. But even then, they usually know. Somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere in there, they know. Most people seem to know in my experience. Even when I've been broken up with, I tend to know why it was better that I got broken up with. And you can say that. I think it was better overall that this relationship ended given the context. But man, I can see how that would really hurt. I can see how that'd be really hard for you emotionally. Do you need anything? Can I support you in some way? You know, is what you want to do. And then the third thing is there are definitely white knight people still. And white knighting is always terrible no matter the context. This is like the problem solving person when you're trying to share your story and they just start trying to solve the problem for you. That makes it about them. Yeah. You can ask the person, would you like me to try and help you solve the problem? Would you like me to help you try and get over it? What is it that you need from me? But I would never go as a starting point to helping people get over it. That's an unlikely thing. In my experience, nobody has ever asked for that. All the people I've ever been like, so did you, did you want me to help you get over the bad relationship? Their response has been no. No, I just want to vent and I want you to listen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you're making space. And again, if you feel like it has to be about you, if you need to be the hero, you need to examine your motivations because you're not helping that person. You're self-aggrandizing. And I'll guarantee you, it doesn't matter what he was going to do a month after, nothing he did was going to be able to help me get over that person. Like... Nothing, not one fucking thing was he going to be able to do to help me get over my partner leaving. I mean, that's not true, right? What he could have done to help you get over your partner would be create space for you to be sad, validate your emotions, help you find the place to express them. Right. But that's all supporting me. That's not anything he specifically is doing, which was what he wanted to do. He wanted something specifically what he could do. Right. It's not something that's going to automatically earn you praise. But I mean, like, I feel good about my myself for creating that kind of space for people, even if they don't realize that I did that for them. Right. That's actually helping though. But that's the difference is you don't need them to realize it. I guess that's the question. Is your actual motivation what I really want is to help? Because if it is, then you should do these things we're saying. Or is your motivation, I want to get points for helping. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, if it is... You should either still do these things that we're suggesting because that's the best chance you have of getting points for helping because it will actually be helping. Uh, But it's not guaranteed because you don't get to point it out because if you point it out, it isn't helping anymore. So if you're like, by the way, I helped. Yep. No good. Nope. Not anymore. Eh, Move on. Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But you actually did help. So there's a good chance people will notice. I'm actually surprised at how often people do notice those sorts of things when you do them right. That even if they don't necessarily immediately say it, you know, at some point years later, they'll be like, I really appreciated how you did that for me. And you're like, oh, shit, I didn't even know. Like Mandy and I haven't talked about this in a year. Yeah, it's been a while since we've talked about it. So I didn't even know to the extent that I was helpful that I was helpful. It was more like, I think I've been helpful as much as I can be. You know, and a year later, Mandy was like, well, just now, was like, that was pretty helpful. And I'm like, cool, great. 
I did a good job. I mean, you were definitely one of the only people that I could talk to about it that didn't make me feel bad. And I think it's also hard for people who are close to the event because I feel like if I was in Jerry's position, it would be harder for me to provide that because I'd be pissed at that guy. Right. And And you being like, well, he's kind of a decent guy. Like, fuck that guy. No, you don't get to say good things about him. He just fucked me over. Fuck that guy. Yeah. So that's a hard one. And then, and like my friends were mad at him and, you know, like it was a... Well, but if I was your friend, unless I had a deep personal relationship with him that he cut to move to Texas, where I felt betrayed by that, where I was like, I thought we were friends, but apparently you only cared about Mandy. It's totally cool that you think they're a good person also is harder. It's not going to happen. Because yeah. part of my processing <laughs> is to be angry at people. Yeah. That would be hard. I'd be like, you know, there's a lot of people that could do this for you that maybe aren't me because I am mad at that person right now. And that, you know, and I think that's one of the, the things that Jerry was so mad at him about was that Jerry was kind of left with the mess, you know, of me as well as the kids and, you know, everything else that he left behind. It, you know, Jerry was left to kind of have to console me and process, you know, his part of the relationship as well. And which, like I said, made him even more mad. And I mean, I think there's a lot going on there to un- that would be different difficult to separate one from the other because my knee-jerk response to you being like he's mad that he was left with the mess of me is like i'm sorry that was just that was the deal of being with you like that you were who's always gonna have to handle your ups and your downs and this was a down and like life throws you ups and downs and it's like and that blame is always such a weird one to me as i've often noted i don't i don't know why people don't tend to get mad at like a hurricane but they do get mad at people. Yeah. Eh, those are equally causal events, yo. You might as well anthropomorphize the hurricane and get mad at it as yeah. get mad at a person. The only value that getting mad at people has is that it often affects their behavior and getting mad at a hurricane doesn't. Right, and there was no, because he dipped, there was no... Right, and that's my point, that yeah. he dipped. So, like, being mad at him when it cannot affect him. Yeah. Because he's, you know, he's already made the choice to completely remove himself is just not... I mean, you can feel that emotion, but I wouldn't spend a long time in anger with that emotion. I would just move very quickly to derision. Yeah. I think that taking care of each other is sort of the basic level one relationship job. So I don't get mad at people that make my wife mad because I have to then take care of her because that's literally my job that I signed on for. Because of how everything happened, I get it. Like, I get... Because I was... I mean, you remember. I was a fucking mess like couldn't function at work like i I called into work for like a week and yeah it it wasn't it wasn't fair to jerry i can't co-sign that claim so to be to for the record jerry's never complained about that like he's never ever said you know that asshole left me with you you know like (laughs) that was never that's never come out of his mouth. I understand that this is sort of your take on what, yeah. what you're seeing. And, you know, this is also, I think, part of why you have trouble forgiving yourself. You don't feel like Jerry should have had to have dealt with that. But Jerry should absolutely have dealt with that. And I don't think you should feel bad about that emotional response, that level of emotional response, or Jerry having to be around for that. And I think if you asked him, he would probably say exactly what you're saying. Well, then this is for you, not him, <laughs> because <laughs> this is just another way to blame yourself and not forgive yourself, to make up blame from another partner. Because we all signed on for polyamorous relationships, and when we did that, we understood that part of the deal was that our partners would break up with people, and that breaking up with people would be hard, because breaking up with people is always hard. But it would be like saying it wasn't fair to my best friend 
when my partner broke up with me because then my best friend had to spend a lot of time taking care of me, right. which is not something that we normally say. We would not normally say that. How about that was unfair to my best friend? Yeah. Because that's what they signed on for as being your best friend was to yeah. be there when this is what you were going through. And I just think this is one more way to self-blame and second layer of not feeling free to experience your emotions. Like when I experienced my emotions and did what I really needed to do to take care of myself, I harmed my partner. No, you didn't. You partnered your partner. Yeah. That's what partnership is. <laughs> okay, so in saying that, having done this podcast with you and with our loyal listeners, I want to thank you and Sarah and our listeners, you know, because a lot of our topics over the last year have been in relation to this, in relation to him leaving and and that relationship ending and me processing it. So I guess I want to thank you and Sarah and all of our loyal listeners for helping me and letting me process over the last year. So I'm glad that it was helpful. But I mean, obviously, a lot ends up on the cutting room floor. (laughs) And a lot of topics we discuss for an hour and then have our conversation. Yeah. So if they're making it into episodes, at least for me, I can say it's because I think that they provide a very useful case study that is applicable to a wider audience. So, you know, I think there's as much thanks for sharing those difficult stories because a lot of people are not willing to share those difficult stories with a larger audience in order to have those lessons. At least that's my perception is that I am grateful that you're willing to have the difficult conversations on air rather than going, okay, we did the difficult conversation. Now can we talk about something fun (laughs) or can we talk about my difficult conversation? But as if it wasn't about me and with no actual emotional connection to the material. I think that pretty well covers it, including the, you know, the three major perspectives, which is what should you do if you're mourning, the extra difficulty of polyamorous mourning, which is that people don't let you mourn polyamorous relationships. But that's a, that's a pretty easy one. Just talk to polyamorous people instead of monogamous people. And if a monogamous person does say that, call them out point out that if you lost a friend they would be there to support them and stop acting like losing one partner isn't like losing a partner and people generally in my experience do react back pretty quick if you call them out on it but definitely in my experience monogamous people will say to me well at least you have your other partner and i'll go is that how you would feel if one of your best friends left that at least you have other friends that's that's really rough and unpleasant and i don't know why you would say that to me and and it hurts just as much to lose a person even if you have another person yeah and they're like oh shit i'm sorry and i don't know if they are but at least they pretend to be and then act like a a, a better person going forward so and then how to care for someone who is mourning a relationship which is something that you should spend some time cultivating if you're a polyamorous person and really thinking about if you're a polyamorous person because it's gonna happen you actually have to do that as a polyamorous person you have to support people through losing romantic relationships which is not something that generally speaking you're called upon to do before you become polyamorous with a whole new skill that you have to develop so uh, we will see everybody in uh, a couple of weeks yes thank you all for listening again have a great night bye bye all right i'm stopping you same